My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is recorded live in San Francisco and produced in collaboration with Dave Clark at Studio Pod Media. Our show coordinator is Deanna Marinci, with additional editing and music presented by Notalab. This episode of Technically Speaking is sponsored by Automatic, the people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Automatic's 1,400 people hail from 79 countries and speak 99 languages. Their open source software products democratize publishing and commerce so that anyone with a story can tell it and anyone with a product can sell it, regardless of income, gender, politics, language, or country. More than 1 billion people use Automatic products every month. Automatic also contributes directly to WordPress, the open source project that powers over 40% of websites on the internet. If you're ambitious, energetic, and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit automatic.com to check out the latest job listings today. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. Hey, everybody. My name is Harrison Wheeler. I'm super excited for this episode because I have Bay Area artist and designer Matt Barnes, not to be confused with the former Golden State Warrior, but (laughs) hey, welcome to the show. I appreciate it, Harrison. It's great to be here. And yes, not to be confused with the Golden State Warrior, former NBA player, bad boy, Matt Barnes. As a matter of fact, I am the original one, so I had it first, so I, I claim it. But he's messing, right. up my, he's messing up my SEO. So. Hey, <laughs> I know how that goes. I know how that goes. Yeah, there was some music artist out of L.A. who was, you know, probably about 10 years younger than I was. And I think in college, he decided to be a recording artist. And I was like, who is this person that's just messing up with my SEO? But he didn't stick with it. Right. So that's good. Okay. That's good. That's, that's good. good. So time heals the SEO. Right. You will reclaim that. Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. So Matt, why don't you give folks a quick sort of overview and, and pitch about yourself? I'm originally from Missouri. I was born and raised in small town, middle America. I spent most of my adult life in Dallas, Texas. I moved to the Bay Area five years ago, got married, spent a lot of time in-house, mostly working with smaller mid-sized SaaS companies um, in various design leadership capacities. My specialty is end-to-end brand experiences, everything from First touch, whether it's a logo experience or building out out of home experiences, and also so some photo shoot um, art direction. Recently, I was creative director at a smaller attribution and analytics company called Singular. I led their first brand refresh evolution, created their first and second iteration of brand guidelines, and, and scaled the team. Right now, I'm at AWS, Amazon Web Services, as the senior art director of brand. And we essentially govern us all things brand and provide guidance on usage and work globally with our, our stakeholders all over the world, solving those day-to-day problems. Awesome. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to maybe kind of touch on, it, I really love this experience because you've kind of moved from agency to in-house. What role and how does that change as a creative director when you're doing something from an agency versus in-house where you're sort of living on longer sort of life cycles. 
Yeah, that's a good question. The agency life, essentially, you're working for that client. The client comes to you. There might be existing brand guidelines and restrictions and requirements. And essentially, you're pitching. You're pitching an experience to them. And so you're going out, doing the research, speaking with customers, and just exploring every visual opportunity to really sell them on a concept. In-house is a little bit different because you own the brand. And so you can take it wherever you want to go. Now, there are stakeholders and leadership and business objectives that you have to consider when creating, but you do have the autonomy to expand and to evolve. And that's what I really love most. The agency side is great, but I I, I love in-house for that reason, having the ability to have a bird's eye view on all the things from web, from video, from social media, from digital marketing, and understand how that all fits together is, is what I definitely enjoy. Yeah. What does it look like to kind of patch those things together? Oh, my God. It's crazy because at my core, I love branding, but I yeah. also love data. I also love that data story and how things work together. And so each organization that I work in, I'm always interested in what are the business objectives and how does that cascade down to directors, to managers, and to the IC? And then what are our individual goals and how does it ladder up to tell that story? And so I always look at data and how, what can we do? What can we tweak to reach our objective, to reach our goals? And so what it looks like inside in-house is, is smaller projects that ladder up to a larger initiative. So for example, if you're working with your demand gen team, how does those little paid ads is going to ladder up to like that second touch or third touch or that final conversion? And so thinking those things through with spreadsheets, with whiteboarding, understanding that customer journey before you even get to design, you're really thinking that whole process through. And so those are the things that I particularly enjoy and find fascinating in solving those problems. Well, I, I'll say that this is a fascinating sort of perspective, right? Because I think traditionally, I've only really associated a lot of that approach to user experience design, Mm -hmm. right? I don't really hear that too much spoken from a brand perspective. And so is this something that's like ubiquitous throughout the industry? Is it just simply how you approach it? And if so, like, what was really the motivation of kind of going in this direction? There's a few designers that think in this way, and and all of us, we have our own process and style. There's no right or wrong way to do anything. But I've always been interested in user experience and customer journey and user flows and understanding what that end goal, everything that I create, I always want to understand like the what, you know, what are we doing? Who are we doing for? Why are we doing it? And what that ultimate goal is, like what do you want the customer to do? And I think you can solve that through a brand experience, working with your product team or working with your, your product leaders to really make things gel together. And so I, I think it started with me. And this is just, a, I'll, I'll keep this short story brief, but early in my career, I started in animation and thought I was going to be a Flash animator. You know, I thought Flash oh, would Flash. be around. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was heavy into action scripting, really complex story building. And then web came around and I fell in love with web. So I started coding, you know, started coding HTML and early CSS. And then everything got extremely complicated. And I left that because I I couldn't keep up and then went back to my core, which was actually design, like UI web design. And so I remember designing websites in Photoshop, cutting everything up, 
building Sli- papers, slicing, yeah, slice, slicing yeah. tool, you know, building out paper style guides, information architect. It's just thinking that whole process through. So I was always interested in that area of build. Once technology came and everything became more automated or just enabled, I moved more back into like the core in-house branding and just focus more on the tactical, but I still had a love for UX design. And so I actually went and did a boot camp at General Assembly just to really understand the, te- the technique, uh, the research capabilities. And so that being said, the reason why I think it's important to have those two layers is if you're really trying to scale a brand or build a brand, everything has to connect. You know, the product has to to look somewhat like the brand. You know, there has to be a consistent experience because all touch points, all channels. And so I think it's important to have those conversations, to have those deeper discussions, to understand what the customer pain points are, to understand what our internal pain points are, and then try to solve that with brand by creating systems that can ladder up to other parts of the organization. So that's that's pretty much how I, I approach it. Right. Yeah. So it seems to me like over time, it sort of encompasses a lot of the different skills that you've applied. I think there's also an interesting kind of undercurrent here of just like the evolution of technology and how that sort of shapes to your opportunities of influence. Right. Right. And so like with that being said, I'd love for you to maybe give us an idea of like what that day to day looks like. When you are sort of working on like a brand product, like what are the things that you consider? Who are the types of stakeholders that you bring on board? Where does product fall into this? And would you say maybe, and I don't want to be leading with this question, but would you say that having a strong brand really kind of helps inform some of the the product work that we do? Yes, and that's a great question. I'll refer back to a past project that involved all aspects of the organization from brand marketing to product marketing. We were redoing the website from the ground, like end to end. And it was very layered. There was a lot of considerations, a lot of business considerations to to really consider, essentially because the, the website was responsible for a portion of you know, new business. And so we wanted to make sure we didn't break that. And so also the website was the entryway for the customers to get to the product. Now, they had their own separate login portal, but the data show that customers were still coming to the website to log in. So we wanted to make sure that we would break all of that. And so it was a lot of meeting sessions with the product team to understand, hey, what's that consistent journey? Based on your data and your research, what is that customer journey? What's the one that's working for you? Because we want to make sure that we mimic that throughout the navigation throughout the entire experience of the website. So it was a lot of working behind the scenes of a lot of wireframing, a lot of user flows, um, just to get that continuity alignment. And so we spent months working on that, developing it, before we even got to any type of UI work. Once we got to the design work, everything was essentially downhill because we had a unified style guide, consistent color schemes. Now, there were some variations, but it still felt like it was part of the family. And then we also included, like, I'm I'm really big on collaboration and just communication visibility. Uh, I think it's a good practice to keep everyone informed you know, have regular syncs, whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, to showcase, hey, these are the things that we're working on, any red flags or things that we haven't considered. And just to get that by, and I know a lot of times design teams and product design teams are on two different islands designing, and then they come together at the end, it's like, ah, oh, 
two different companies. <laughs> and so I think it's important for those teams to really gel together. There has to be some communication and cross-collaboration. And so that's what we did. And in the end result, we had a great looking website that aligned with the product. And there was like this brand continuity across all the channels from paid, from social, organic, everything looked like one company. And we felt pretty proud of that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think the beauty of something like that too, is that for the person that is going through those different channels, the consistency builds the trust, right? Mm-hmm. It's more than just aesthetics, right? It, it's it's about building trust and affirmation on the products that we're using. So I really love that. Yeah, it's all about being authentic and really deliberate in, in how you show up. And so I think it's important to have that continuity and consistency just to build that trust, like you said. Yeah, yeah. The future of work is here at Automatic. The people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Join a team of diverse global perspectives. Create the work environment and schedule that empowers you to perform at your very best. At Automatic, what matters is the work you produce, not how many hours you put in. Work from anywhere you choose. There are automatications working right now in 79 countries around the globe. The intellectual and cultural diversity that results is critical to the company's success. Automatic believes in constant learning and offers mentorship and personal coaching to support your growth. As a small company with a huge footprint, Automatic offers you the chance to have an impact and make a difference. If you're ambitious, energetic, and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit Automatic.com to check the latest job listings. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. So I'm going to kind of make a little bit of a pivot. So when I made the introduction, we mentioned that you're an artist. So I'm going to follow up with something on this a little bit later. Because I find it interesting that you are in the B2B space, but yet you also are an artist. And those, in some cases, feel like two polar opposite things. <laughs> I can remember one of the, there was a experience I had in art school. And, you know, as a graphic designer, I was just very, just, I love grids. And so grids can be very predictable in the art world. And I got just this comment from somebody that's just like, you're overthinking this. It's not expressive. And so like, what is the component of art sort of in your life? And maybe kind of walk us through how that sort of inspires your work, you know, that you do today. Yeah, this is great. Uh, art is is my passion, my, my first love. I've been painting since I was a kid and knew that, knew early on that I wanted a career in the arts. But, you know, 20, 25 years ago, there wasn't any technology or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Like, let me go ahead and be honest. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't really any technology or any, we didn't know the how, like, how do you get there? And so what inspires me is like the early Renaissance. And I'll go back because I'm, I'm going to explain that, but it all makes sense. But I'm a big fan of the early Renaissance painting painters like El Greco, Botticelli, of course, like Da Vinci and Caravaggio. And what fascinates me the most about that era is they did all that without any technology, you know, and without any photography, without an iPad or Procreate. They essentially did it from memory and from 
a city model. And what's so impressive about that is the level of patient and the level of detail required to produce work at that level. And I know like some of the techniques that they use was like the Flemish technique, which is like this seven layer process where you sketch it on, we do the underpainting, you do the dead layer, and then you do the color. And so that level of, of detail, that, that level of really thought and just discipline is how I approach my paintings, you know? I, and so I, I paint mostly animals because when I moved here, I didn't know anybody. And so like I started painting animals and that's kind of what I paint right now. And so how two worlds connect because the way that I approach design is the same exact way that I approach art and painting, except I don't have any stakeholders and I don't have leadership providing feedback. And so that's the one caveat that allows me to create without even caring. I never have the end goal of, oh, I want to sell this painting or I want this painting to be X. It's more of just, I want to paint a polar bear because I connect with this polar bear and I want to create this polar bear. Now work is totally different. It's the same approach, but now it's not an emotional connection to it because it's like, okay, it's more, I'm trying, I'm trying to solve a problem for customers. And so how can I create the best work? How can I collaborate with my team to create the best solution to solve that problem? With the painting, I'm trying to create just because for the pure joy and love of it. So the two connect, but it's, it's separate. The output is separate. And so essentially, they're taking the same journey together. But right at the end, they put, one goes right and one goes left, but they cross the finish line at the same time. So that's how I, I typically approach that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess like, they go in sort of divergent directions, but I think for the viewer, right? What about the emotion that it evokes, right? Is it different because there's an action that's tied to maybe something in the business realm versus maybe in the art? Because one could say, you know, back at that time, art was really sort of a communication piece as well, right? Right. So I think there could be some similarities aligned to it. Yeah. There's definitely some similarities. You know, when I think about design world, it's probably not 100% this, but it's like transactional. You know, you're doing something, the, the end goal is to get someone to do something. You know, what, what do we want them to do? Painting can be transactional, especially if you're painting for a show. You, you want your work out there in the wild and you want someone to love it and potentially buy it. So in a sense, it can be the same way. That's not my motivation. I paint strictly for the joy and love of it. And it's like my outlet because you have to step away from the laptop every now and then. And this is how I do it. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where I, I approach it the same way, but the end goal is slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe let's kind of keep on those, those hobbies, right? So, you know, that art sort of balances you. Is there anything else that you kind of do as a creative outlet as well? I know you're really in the beer, but how deep are you in the beer? Are you like brewing it or like what's the whole approach there? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, before I moved to the Bay Area, I was really into brewing beer. And oh, wow. don't, don't ask me to explain any of the scientific. I, I think my, my first brew was awful. It tasted like tea that's just been sitting out in the sun for a while. But I still I still finished it because I, I felt proud about it. But I'm a big IPA fan. Like IPA, like I most people drink because they enjoy like um, getting the buzz or whatever you want to call it, the end goal of that. I drink purely for the taste. You know, I absolutely adore the taste and I am a big 
hazy IPA. I can give you my standard. I can give you actually what's in my refrigerator right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So are you at the level where like you might hold it up to the light and you smell it and you swirl it? Is that sort of your vibe? Yeah, I, I definitely look at the coloring. The hazier it is, like if it looks like orange juice, that's going to be an extremely delicious beer. The L's, like the brown L's, like you can see right through and it has like this nice reddish brownish color. Like the dark stouts, you can't see anything. It's like midnight. Those are my winter beers. Like I typically, okay. I typically drink wheat beers for the summers just because it's light. And if you're outdoors, you're not going to drink a 10% IPA in the hunt, in the sun. So I, I typically drink lighter beers in the summer, darker beers in the winter. And in springtime, I'll, I'll go on my IPA kick and then, you know, I'll cut it off right when the weather gets warm. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that in the case that you do have an art viewing, it should also have a beer tasting component to it as well. Trust me, my next show, it will have a beer and art pairing. Nice. <laughs> Selection for, especially curated for with the theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think one of the things I can appreciate, and maybe you've already put some thought into this, it seems like you are very into a process, right? Like beer, it takes patience, it takes time, right? The artwork you were telling me takes time to really kind of develop a strong brand. There's a lot of connection between bringing folks together and getting alignment. And so what sort of advice, I guess, would you give to folks kind of with that theme in mind and in terms of the things to consider if they're looking to really grow and move into a brand role? Yeah, this is a great, great question. I tell young designers and even seasoned designers the same thing. Don't focus on that end goal. Like, don't focus on, hey, I want to be a creative director. I want to be a design director. I want to be a director or whatever, whatever director title you want. Learn as much as you can. You know, like everything's going to go fast. You're going to look up and it's going to be 10 years into the future. And you're going to realize that you didn't cherish any of the friendships that you, you made. You didn't really enjoy the journey. Life is too short. Drink delicious wine, eat amazing food, and then try to be a problem solver for humanity. And the universe will reward you and guide you in the path that you need to go. Now, you can definitely have goals. Like We all have goals. We all have things that we want to, to achieve in our careers. But it's really important to just focus on like tomorrow, you know, that next step or that next minute and then and just really learn as much as you can. So that that's my advice to people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of, you know, really being in the moment and enjoying things, what are you looking forward to now that things are starting to open back up? Oh man, like this is my wife and I, we, we traveled the globe, uh, like a couple of years ago, we were in, we were in Ireland, we were in Italy, we were in France, we were in Mexico, like we went everywhere. And COVID hit and haven't been on a plane in a year and a half. So, like, I'm looking forward to getting back on a plane and visiting another culture, eating some amazing food and just really enjoying people and just human contact. So that's the big thing. But, like, the small tangible thing is just hugging someone, you know, like yeah. I really haven't hugged, like, uh, someone in a long time. And just having that one-on-one connection, just sitting down and and asking people, hey, how are you? You know, and sh- shaking someone's hand, like the, the basic human contact. I think that's something that can be done, you know, sooner than later. You know, getting on a plane is still going to take a little bit of juggling, but hugging someone, that's what I'm really looking forward to doing. 
Yeah. And I think there's definitely fatigue of just like looking at somebody on camera, right? It's so much different also when you bring in, you know, again, sort of like the body language component to it, right? Sort of like that physical component. I'm looking forward to that. I'm super excited about my parent. My parents are hopefully going to be out here sometime this fall. And I can just tell how anxious my dad has been <laughs> because they're actually, they actually live outside of Missouri. So they're in Illinois. Oh, wow. So they're outside of East St. Louis. So my mom was born and raised in East St. Louis and they moved back down there from Milwaukee once I moved to California. That's just kind of where the family unit is. So I'm with you on that. And I can't wait to hop back on a plane myself. Yeah. So, so kind of like looking forward. So, you know, kind of future facing, what's kind of one of the things on the top of your mind in terms of the industry, you know, the arts, you know, what's kind of top of mind in, in, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, the more and more I think about like what's really next as far as the industry and, and how I can contribute to it. Again, you touched on process being an important part of my, how I work. Uh, continue to evolve that. I'm really big on simplifying and in, instead of recreating, just simplifying and enabling other people to, to build and scale on their own. And so I, I'm looking at really just trying to get more into system designs. I, I know there's design systems and, you know, the whole UX side, but how can we bring that into like the brand side? You know, how can we create like these detailed guidelines and systems that we can hand off to other teams to get them to to scale their brand? And so that that's what I'm really working on. Like I have, have passion projects that I, I'm constantly tinkering with working with templates and, and really trying to get things and see if I can break some type of code. So that's what I'm really, really working on in my side time. What are some of the things that kind of stand out in your thinking that you're just starting to tinker with right now? Mm -hmm. It's like pattern systems, color systems, essentially the the standards when you think about systems in general, because a lot of times we're, especially in our work on the brand side, we're reviewing a lot of different assets. There's some inconsistencies, there's some continuity issues. And so the goal is how can we create systems or tools that can empower them to create better creative? How can these tools cross over to the product world? How can it cross over to the dev world? Like how can everything essentially become one, you know, one one nice little system? So yeah, it's, it's mostly just experimenting and and you know, collaborating with other people and having conversations. But that's where I'm going right now. As far as design, technique, and I mean, everything's been done. You're not recreating anything. And so it's, it's more about the process and how can you refine that. Yeah. And sorry, I didn't, I realized I did not sort of like level set. I know we keep talking about brand, but what does that all encompass? Is that only digital? Does it include like print and physical? Like how would you sort of define that? Brand is... All things. Brands, everything from that first touch, which is a logo lockup, to that out of home. Everything that helps elevate that organization's story. And so I look at brand as encompassing all of the touch points from, again, your print collateral to your digital ads to your live action to actual video shoots. So that's how I define brand. Now, I know there's some other designers out there probably throwing cans at the, the, the monitor right now. <laughs> but that's a, just that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, look, hey, I appreciate you being on the show today. Is there anything that I didn't cover that you want to leave with the listeners? You know what? Have fun, people. I, again, enjoy learning all the things. 
eat all the amazing food and drink all the delicious IPAs. So cheers. Yeah. And one more, like how can folks get in touch with you or follow you? What does your presence look like online? Uh, I am an active Twitter user. You can follow me at, at mbarnesart. I'm on Instagram, also in Barnes Art Consistency. You can find me on <laughs> Facebook, but um, probably won't interact with you that much because <laughs> I'm, I'm rarely on there. But yeah, Instagram and Twitter and also LinkedIn by my name. Awesome. Well, hey, we'll be looking forward to the, the show announcement and the beer tasting. But until then, thank you so much. And again, like stay safe. Can't wait to meet up for a beer sometime sooner than later. Yes. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah. Take it easy. All right, Harrison. This has been great. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening. Ratings and reviews help this podcast tremendously. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, I'd love it if you could leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll return the favor by giving you a shout out on the show and on Instagram. AJ Kim. 0822 says, this is one of my go-to podcasts to listen to while I'm driving. The cadence of Harrison's interaction with guests is great. Normally I play podcasts at 1.5 speed because the conversations can be a bit slow, but not with this podcast. Harrison has such wealth of knowledge and experience, and I'm so glad he created this podcast to share it. AJ Kim, thanks for the review. This means so much. I created these segments to be as long as they were so you could listen to them on that morning walk or that drive to work. Happy to hear that you listened to it in the context that it was created for. I'm looking forward to sharing more reviews on upcoming episodes, so don't forget to submit yours today. Mm-hmm.